should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because Mom said we don't have to go to bed till nine. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who's warmer than this side of the pillow. Benedict, what's making you happy this week? Ah, uh, making me happy this week. Uh, I don't know. Just the sunshine. The sunshine's very pleasant. The sunshine is not pleasant yeah. where I am. Well, it's a hundred no. fucking degrees. Today. Is it? Are you a, are you like a fire? Oh, it's risk? nightmarish. Yeah. It has been a hundred degrees for the last five days. It's going to continue no. to be a hundred degrees for the next week. It's just suffering. So I can only presume AC is what's making you happy this yes, week. Yes, yeah. <laughs> No, Benedict. What's making me happy this week uh, is I found uh, through through the magic of the internet uh, that someone had created a playlist. Of the Jock Jams CD, which I have brought up to you multiple times and which you had never heard of. Oh, yeah. And which, for some reason, everyone else I bring up Jock Jams to had never heard of. Yeah. But it is available in playlist form, and it's fantastic. Is that the thing you sent me that I didn't click on? Yes, that's cool. exactly what yeah, that yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> also known as what I was listening to at the gym okay. uh, over the last week. It's pretty fantastic. A whole lot of whoop, there it is. A Good. lot of uh, 90s techno hip-hop type stuff. Basically everything you ever heard in between periods or quarters of a professional sporting event. Okay. Uh, that's what's in the Jock Jam CD. So, right. Pretty outstanding, I have mm-hmm. to say. Anyways, Benedict, mm-hmm. uh, do you know Do you know what it is that we do here? Are you aware? Uh, I mean, I am, yeah. But are oh, you, well, but, you know, there t- might... you want to tell the people? I mean, yeah, in case yeah. there's anybody out there. Who doesn't know what it is we do here? To them, I would say, this is a show where we go deep, 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 deep. To plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, start us off. Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, yeah. And I think uh, it's it's it might be one of the most hurtful things in the world when your close friends forget your birthday. <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> and then you get asshole. on get on the get on the call and they're like ah hi dickhead nothing and special about you uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like why didn't you text me that it was ben's birthday yeah that's that's i think truly Look, hurtful, it is yeah. it is established uh in my family and mm-hmm. also with your wife that people are to tell me when people's birthdays are. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I fucking forget. Yeah, so um, it is established that you're a bit of a prick, <laughs> essentially. Is a... Look, I sat here on the call with you and put it into my phone calendar. That's true, yeah. So next so year, that... folks, I'll let you know if Kevin yeah, remembers next yeah. year. The pro- Look, here's the problem. The problem is not knowing it on the day. The yeah, you, you need, need to like put it in like three advance. three days before, so you can be right. like ben, <laughs> Ben's birthday. So I got to go back in and put it in. Hey, Ben's birthday is coming yeah. <laughs> in three days, and then I will know to do some of my usual bullshit. Uh, but anyways, uh, oh, but to be fair, Kevin normally does uh, compensate for that by being very generous <laughs> with gifts. So. 
no, no. This goes back to years ago when I tried to get you, like, the best Christmas present and got fucked. Got fucked by your family who had bought you the exact the same, thing I yeah. got you. So Kevin buys me things on the scale of my actual, like, close family. That's the, that's the, that's where yeah. Kevin's at. Anyway, what's your hot take? Uh, my hot take. How about that insurrection, huh? Uh-huh. Eh? Yeah. Hey, you see that stuff? You see any of that? Did you watch the January stuff? 6th stuff? Uh, so I watched a bit the okay, other so day. So I texted um, Kevin the first day and he was like, it's not for me. It's for other people who won't watch it. But then yeah, exactly. I watched it and I was like, it's actually good. Like it is actually Look, good. I-, I watched because I was promised new stuff uh, mm-hmm. the other day. I think it was it yesterday the or the day stuff, before. The pen stuff remember. was new. Yeah, right. The, so that hey, kind of stuff hey, I hey, for. I think I should be added to the pardon list, by the way. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, that was so that was a holy fuck. You gotta yeah. be kidding me. Uh, I think I should be on the pardon list if that's still a thing. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I feel like for someone who brings up January sixth as often as I do, just as like a heuristic for go fuck yourself, I don't believe you, right wing, you're mm-hmm. being completely disingenuous. I should probably pay a bit more attention, but I consider the fact that I was less than a mile from the Capitol on the day of the insurrection. You know what was happening. Yeah, I have a pretty good awareness. And also, given that I have, I think, uh, higher awareness of groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers than your average everyday person, as well as all the other fart right-wing actors who were involved, um, I think I know pretty well about most of the stuff that's been going on and Mm -hmm. the sort of motivations that went... You know, and also, I think I disagree with a lot of your just average, you know... Uh, Democrat posters out there on the internet, right? I don't think that it was necessarily planned that they would storm the Capitol at the highest levels, at the level of Donald Trump mm-hmm. or Giuliani or people like that. I think they just didn't give a fuck what would happen. Yeah. That's my honest feeling about it. I just think, and once it started happening, they didn't give a fuck. They didn't give a shit. And you know what? I think that's enough to punish them for the rest of their fucking lives for this shit. Yeah. But... I don't think you're going to prove that Donald Trump, like, knew, okay, they're going in through this door. And, like, you're not going to prove any of that shit. Because he's a clueless old sundowning weirdo. Like, you're not going to get any of that shit. But, um, hey, it's still interesting. I think there's a lot of crazy shit going on. And um, check it out if you're interested, I guess. Anyways, on to the next part that is in the script that we go through every Mm -hmm. week. What's on your bookshelf this week? Uh, It is Woman of the Ashes by Mia Koti. That's what I'm reading right now. Uh, it's a, a, it's about the last uh, um, Mozambican Empire, so mm. and and its interaction with the uh, the Portuguese colonists colonizers in the uh, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. So it's it's a historical fiction about about the interaction and intersection of of those two things, and it was also uh, what uh, an uh, Mozambicans who sided with the Portuguese when they got there as well, and how how that interplays uh, with the the, the local and colonial yeah. politics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. So that that's mine. What about you? Uh, I have one. I'm I'm doing a book this week. Oh, look. You, should be, you should be surprised and happy. Proud of be you. proud of me. Uh, because I picked everyone who listens to the show knows how much I love the John Birch Society. One of my mm, little obsessions. Love. I picked up a uh, biography of uh, Robert Welch written by Edward H. Miller called A Conspiratorial Life. Um, this was actually recommended to me by Sam Hoadley Brill on Twitter, um, who uh, was kind enough to give me that in his mentions. So I'm checking it out. Uh, you know, it's right up my alley. It's my, it's my sort of shit. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I'm into. Shouldn't surprise anyone that I'm reading that, and then I think you should check it out as well. But 
On to housekeeping this week. Obviously, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes and the places and the spots and the fies where you can go and leave the stars or the scales or the weight of the case it might be. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen, if you're lame. Uh, Mm -hmm. One update, one minuscule update from last week's episode that I wanted to put in here. I want to correct my statement a little bit, that I don't believe Glenn Beck knows that he is doing the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Um, I don't think his reason for doing what he's doing is because he believes in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I I don't think that that's why. Um, I 100% think... That at this point in his career, especially, much like, you know, 10 years ago, I also think this was probably true. But by this mm-hmm. point, a thousand percent. Someone who works for him, or a listener, or one of the horrible commenters on his website, or one of the many, many denunciations he has received from the Anti-Defamation League or the Southern Poverty Law Center, has informed him that he is propagating anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And he has been informed by that fact. But I think he disregards that because he thinks that the cause of attacking the left is more important than propagating awful bullshit. I I think that's probably what that's about. And that applies to, like, Mark Levin, too, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, These people, in the pools they swim in, they cannot not know that they are surrounded by this horrible ideology that so often goes back to just classical racism or anti-Semitism, whatever the case might be. They have to know that. Like, if you go listen to enough Alex Jones, you'll hear, like, back in the day when he would just get, and even up to this very day, actually, just straight-up anti-Semitic callers who would ask him on air, you say so much, Alex, you're getting so close to it, but you just, you never name the Jew. Right, which yeah. is their phrase for saying that it's the Jews who are behind all of this, mm-hmm. right? They fucking know because people yeah. bring that shit up. Yeah. Like, and people think, ah, oh, you're just, you're saying all the stuff, you just refuse to say the one thing that uh, that you know who it actually is. It's not globalists, it's the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I just wanted to clarify that a little bit. Because it okay. sounded like I was letting Glenn off the hook a little bit, I think, when I listened back through when I was doing the edit. And I didn't want to give that implication of that. Um... Other update, one tiny other little update. Uh, the fake Lauren Boebert story is gross, and you should all be ashamed of yourself for spreading it because uh-huh. it was obvious horseshit. And um, look, we've talked for Lauren Boebert about Lauren Boebert for over an hour on an episode about her. And uh, if you, you need plenty of reason to hate her, go look at that. Yeah. Um, you don't need this bullshit fake prostitution nonsense that people were spreading. And I really get pissed off when people on our side engage in that bullshit. So stop. What were we just saying about conspiracy theories on the left? Like, hey, we thought you were better than this. Come on. Look, hey, you know, I don't know if that qualifies as a conspiracy theory so much as an example of fake news being spread. Mm. You know, I think I think there's a difference there. But uh, anyways, on to Spooky World, New World Order. We have some new additions this week. I should note that we are recording in advance this week because Benedict is about to go on vacation. And this time, unlike other times, he informed me ahead of time that he was going on vacation. Actually, in response to a sarcastic text, I said, yeah. but um, he, what he did not inform me go of... Go ahead. Oop, not that one. Go ahead, Benedict. Yeah. What you did not inform me of was that for the five days before you leave on your vacation, you're going to be at your fucking in-law's house. So That's true. I, well, I did also we're... inform you that, just not ah, as Yeah, yeah not just as like two advice. days before yeah. I needed... Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but anyways, that means we are recording this week's episode and next week's episode ahead of time. So if you became a patron, if you shared, whatever, I'm not going to have you for the Spooky World New World Order, most likely. But we do have some people who are being added to the Spooky World New World Order this week. And of course, those are our two newest patrons, James Mitchell and Justin Scott Woods. Welcome to the New World Spooky World Order. Thank you oh so very much. And of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbcpod, or just get my attention with something good and I'll, I'll probably make you a member of the Spooky World New World Order. All that out of the way, Benedict! We continue our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin who really killed Malcolm X. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, we read the second half of chapter five, which I'll remind you is climate change fanaticism. Uh, and, in and, which, and we finally start talking about climate change this kind time. Kind of, for a little bit. A little and then we bit. get away from it, yeah. Well, in which yeah. basically Glenn, I keep saying Glenn Beck, for God's sake, in which <laughs> Mark Levin reprints the entirety of the Green New Deal and then doesn't really spend any time critiquing it. So yeah, right, yeah. Like... So, so even more so than most of these chapters where I have done the thing where I have measured the pages and the amount that is quote versus original language, he has a solid, what is that, like six, seven pages of this mm-hmm. chapter it's just that are just the Green New Deal yep. as introduced into the Congress of the United States. So did you see, you um, did you see the review of the, of this in Jacobin this week, by the way? I didn't. Yeah, Why didn't you send me that? I, I meant to, but I forgot. But you know I will, how I, I feel about Jacoban, but... No, uh, I know. I think, I think that's why I didn't, because yeah, I didn't want to get into a conversation about You know Jacobin. I still want to read it, though. Yeah, no, I know. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. <laughs> problematic at best, I think is my description. Everything problematic is problematic at best. best. Yeah, probably true. But anyways... It's this show is problematic at best. <laughs> Very much true. We're doing the second half of Chapter 5 this week. Where we left off, if you recall, uh, he had spent the first half of this chapter pretending that this degrowth movement, which at best has like, you know, 10,000 people that Mm -hmm. ascribe to it, uh, was the core of the conservationists. Before getting to the Green New Deal at all. Yeah, yeah. He was pretending that that was the core of conservationism and climate change activism and, you know, basic science and all that sort of shit. And he has never really said that he's moving on from that. There's an underlying assumption throughout the rest of what he writes here that still this degrowth bullshit, which again has nothing to do with things anyone cares about, is still the core of all of what he's going to be talking about for the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. I want to point that out because, again, that's some obvious horseshit. But he begins off this chapter, by sa- or this half of the chapter, by saying, quote, On July 18th, 2014, a large number of delegates from radical groups throughout the world gathered to issue a joint proclamation called the Margarita Declaration on mm-hmm. Climate Change. And, Bennett, I don't know about you, but I like my Margarita de- declarations with crushed ice and some salt around the rim. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how you feel about that. Yeah, that's that's but. how I would declare them, too. Um, the, thing, the thing about this is that he doesn't say is where the delegates come from and also where the thing is being held. And the answer <laughs> yes. is... It is in Venezuela. Yes. Uh, which which explains some of his critiques of uh, yes. of everything that is going on. Yeah, he points out that, uh, he says, a quote, continuing exactly where I left off, is revealing that their proclamation leads with a quote from Venezuela's late Marxist dictator, Hugo Chavez. Quote, yeah, because it's in Venezuela. It's a Venezuelan organization. 
Let us go to the future. Let us bring it and sow it here. Of course, thanks to Chavez and his successor, Nicolas Maduro, the Venezuelan economy and society are devastated. The people are dying of starvation and seeking refuge in the United States and other countries. There is a complete breakdown in health care and basic public services, and the government is a violent police state that represses any and all dissonant voices. So, uh-huh. that, as you said, Benedict, um... So, th- this Margarita Declaration, I pulled it up, and I will post it in the show notes. It doesn't even have a Wikipedia it. page, which shows do- yeah. you the influence. You know has. what? That was going to be my first thing, because uh, <laughs> shows like ours are often accused of being two guides read a Wikipedia page entertainingly. <laughs> we can't. Um, I, look, I, tr- I try to avoid that as much as possible by going to original sources, but whenever I'm doing something, I generally start with the Wikipedia page, because... You know, they tend to be a decent summary of whatever a given topic is, and you can follow a lot of the links to original sources and things. So, but of the time, you know, then I will go and find more original sources and things. But as you said, this Margarita Declaration is so unimportant, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. And Benedict, everything has a Wikipedia yeah, page. Yeah, exactly. Fucking everything has a Wikipedia page. Um, so, you know, it's not to say nobody gives a shit about this, but. Nobody gives a shit yeah. about this margarita. I'm sure the people that wrote it think uh, I really do give a shit about it, but right. And you noted that it was done in uh, uh, Venezuela, is where this uh-huh. little conference was held, and this was a UN involved conference. But the thing about it is that these people, like, they invited a bunch of civil society groups, people who were not generally involved in any sort of UN climate conference stuff in the past. And so you had some groups, some legit groups like Greenpeace and stuff like that, who had been involved in plenty of climate activism in the past. And they put together this long, sort of, if I'm going to be honest, rambling declaration mm-hmm. that talks about uh, various things we need to do and coexisting on Mother Earth and uh, talking a lot about neoliberal policies and capitalism and this sort of stuff, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 right? Like I said, nobody gives a shit about that. And it actually, the document itself contradicts the UN position on climate change. Mm -hmm. Because remember, the UN is an organization that has to satisfy every member of the UN in order to pass any sort of declaration whatsoever. So a lot of what they often do is very bland bullshit. But nobody gives a shit about this. Mm -hmm. Really, nobody gives a shit about this whatsoever. But he says about it, quote... But we spend fully ten pages on it. Oh, yes. He says, quote, Nothing says bombast and narcissism like a gathering of self-righteous Marxists working together to construct a statement of purpose to include every possible group and cause in their coalition and to treat Mother Earth as if she is some kind wallflower or victim. Yeah, you know, narcissists famously caring about everyone else on the planet. Yes. The result... An incoherent and nonsensical mission statement. Nonetheless, the movement is for real, and it threatens our way of life. Then goes into a Friedrich Hayek quote. Mm -hmm. Great, 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 great. A guy who died decades before this event ever took place. Uh Great. But so that's, so prescient. So prescient. (laughs) Just say your own words. Stop leaning on Hayek, you coward. Uh, he well, I mean, has he ever relied on his own words throughout this entire? No, unless it's Gutierrez. I do miss the Gutierrez. Oh, shit. That also reminds me. I, I, I have. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I didn't. I haven't put it into our notes outline yet, but um, uh, I do have a good quote uh, or a, 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 a audio clip mm-hmm. of Mark Levin for us to play today. Let's do it at the um, end. Let's do it at the end. You want to do it at the end? Yeah, yeah let's All do it right. We'll keep We've the people started. waiting yeah, for yeah. it. We'll keep the people waiting. Stick keep that engagement the high. You want, <laughs> you want our Mark Levin clip. Uh, but... 
He uh, then gives us another quote from this Margarita Declaration, which is, quote, The main sources for climate crisis are the political and economic systems commercializing and reifying nature and life, thus impoverishing spirituality and imposing consumerism and developmentalism that generate unequal regimes and exploitation of resources. Blah, 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 blah. He's really mad about that. And then he quotes Thomas Sowell yep. in response to that. Yep. Where he says in Sal's book, The Quest for Cosmic Justice, he says about people with visions and ah, Lenin, he operated solely on the it's basis of It's completely random. It's it's literally complete he's like, Hey, never dream. Is essentially like never have a dream. Right. And also the part of it is that the <laughs> And that Martin Luther King, how dare he have a dream? <laughs> <laughs> you better that was a dream, not a vision. It was oh, okay, a dream, okay? okay. okay? Yeah, yeah, Get yeah, it yeah. right. Uh, but that, that that big block quote he had from the declaration previously, like, it was somewhat reasonable. Uh, so it's really yeah, just it's like, it was fine. And so he had to go to look at them, just caring about their visions, mm-hmm. not caring about how that works in the real I'm world. I'm surprised he didn't start talking about, like, vision boards. And you know like, how much yeah. radio hosts know about the real world? Yeah. You know how they're men of the people? Yeah. Multi-millionaire you know, you, radio you hosts? You know how radio hosts can reasonably call other people <laughs> narcissists who love the sound of their own know. voice? Like, you know what? That is a big tie that binds yeah. all these people together so many of the ones that we've talked about right so like glenn beck mark levin go back to rush limbaugh uh talk about um michael savage who we talked about on the patron only bonus mm-hmm. uh, from a couple weeks ago all these people massive fucking narcissists yeah love the sound of their own voice every last goddamn one of them i mean hey not I love that we don't own voice, like, but... yeah, <laughs> but hey this is a hobby for me yeah, not so much least, for them at Anyways. least we know how, know how to admit it like But skipping forward a ways, he says next about, again, still talking about the Margarita Declaration, as if leading an international Marxist revolution, the radicals at the convention went on to demand, quote, the change of the production and consumption patterns, taking into account the historic responsibilities of the emissions from nations and corporations and their cumulative nature. Thus, recognizing that the carbon atmospheric space is finite and needs to be equally distributed amongst the countries and their peoples. That's... That's like leading a Marxist revolution, isn't it, mm-hmm. Benedict? The same, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Just like, yeah. hey, acknowledging history, yeah, <laughs> Marxism, Marxist revolution. Yep. He's skipping down a little ways. He says, "Get yeah, then." And what would a revolution be without a star chamber? Quote from the Declaration: We demand the implementation of a justice, ethics, and moral court on climate change, where humanity at large may file complaints against crimes related to this topic. Mm-hmm. End of quote. That's his star chamber. Yep. That's his star chamber. Star yep. chamber, by the way. Real, you real is... ministry of truth stuff. Yeah, yeah. The star chamber is supposed to refer to, like, you know, a closed court where secret things happen and people are persecuted. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, we should have a court for climate crimes. Climate crimes. Star Cri- chamber. Climate crimes. Climate crimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then he goes on and he has a bunch of more quotes from the Declaration. It's just two gigantic block quotes from the Declaration for the next two pages. Uh, really not going to read all of it, but like here's a, a sample of some of the things that they uh, propose. They I presume also, yeah, this was non-binding in any way. Like that's right, the other thing. Is, yeah, like, hey, these are our, these are our suggestions. <laughs> like. They say, quote, we propose the following actions to change the system. One, transformation of the power relations and the decision-making systems for the construction of an anti-patriarchal people's power. I I don't think that phrase even means anything. Because it, it yeah. doesn't. It, I mean, I get what they're going for, but you cannot take that and translate it into anything real. No, it's it's very uh, it. it's very academic. 
Yeah. Transformation of food production systems into agroecological systems, thus ensuring food sovereignty and security and valuing knowledge, innovations, ancestral and traditional practices. I don't know what food sovereignty is. I'm not sure what that phrase means. I but I feel like it's one that Mark should like. Yeah, I think. I don't know. These people talk about sovereignty a lot. Yeah. I feel like they should like that one. Transformation of the energy production systems. Eradicating dirty energies. Respecting the right of the peoples to fight poverty. And keeping fair transition as a gr- guiding principle. That right there contradicts the whole fucking degrowth uh, bullshit yeah. that Mark has been on about for the majority of this chapter. Like that right there. Because they just talked about fighting poverty and keeping fair transition as a mm-hmm. guy. Like, I'm not gonna, there's a whole bunch more. He has like, what is that, like six or seven more bullets from this thing yeah, that he includes in here? There's no point talking about them because it's just bullshit. But he goes next, quote, two of the traditional attacks on capitalism. Oh, this is, I hate this. This is my least favorite bit of the chapter. Productivity so and economic growth have revolved around the claimed depletion of natural resources and carbon dioxide emissions. So, uh, two things there. First off, uh, productivity, that goes back to him claiming that people are degrowth. Claiming that the, the degrowth movement is a real thing that anybody gives a shit about. But second, uh, ec- uh, let's see, pro- productivity and economic growth, right? Uh, he says it resolved around claim depletion of natural resources and carbon dioxide emissions. So those are the two things he's going to be talking about here split up. So first, natural resource depletion, in which he fucking bullshits. He completely fucking bullshits. Yep. Am I correct, Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's... So he has a... Remember we talked about a guy named George Reisman? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back into him. But we talked about him in the previous episode doing this chapter. And he says, quote, With respect to the former, George Reisman explains that mankind has not come close to even scratching the surface of the Earth's resources. He writes, quote, What is true of the Earth is also equally true of every other planetary body in the universe. Insofar as the universe consists of matter, it consists of nothing but chemical elements, and thus of nothing but natural resources. Everything is natural resources. You're a natural resource. You're a natural resource. (laughs) Soil and green is people. God damn it, you got to before I could. I was about to say, that statement supports making Soylent Green. Yeah. It very much does. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, somewhat dehumanizing. We're all natural resources. But he says next, and this is again a quote from Reisman because Levin's lazy. It should not be surprising that the supply of usable, accessible minerals today vastly exceeds the supply that man is economically capable of exploiting. Okay. That's a strike against capitalism, then. Well, yeah, yes, but also, like, maybe at the macro level, yes, but also we're running out of lithium. Yes, and like right. you, you know, on an individual level, the resources are not, fi- are, are very finite. So, like, yeah. maybe we're not using all the uranium in the world, but we definitely are trying to use all the lithium and fucking the, the stuff that we're exploiting all the African countries for still. Right, and there are plenty of things that are, you know, not easily exploitable in the sense of being able to get them and convert them and use them, right? There are yeah, a number in of the things sense that, that, that I, that's hey, where we get to. We can't exploit all of the ocean. Like, right. So his argument here is there is no resource scarcity because there's a shitload of blank because you're also minerals, right? Yeah. Because like, the earth is all minerals, so it's all out there. 
But that doesn't square with the fact that the reason why, you know, we don't have equal distribution of all these things is because a very real scarcity exists in what we can actually access and use. Can't wait to turn into coal in 20,000 years and we still haven't got rid of fossil fuels. <laughs> if he had included that in this chapter. In yeah. <laughs> so it's a naturally re- repeatable resource as you and you turn into coal. Like, I would have loved if he had included that. Or hey, we're never gonna hit peak oil because we—if we just start shoving bodies deep enough, right? <laughs> they're just gonna turn into more oil, right? That's gonna work out in the long run. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Actually, climate change is good because more people will die, and then we'll have more oil. <laughs> And we'll, then we'll have more climate change, which will make more people die, and we can have more oil. Yeah, See? Exactly. We will never it's, run out of oil. It's a closed economy. <laughs> it's a closed That system. takes me back to the uh, Always Sunny episode with the, the coupons. Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, anyways, he says next, quote, A common theme, and therefore a significant problem respecting too many social activists and self-proclaimed revolutionaries, is their utter ignorance about matters in which they are passionately, if not violently, committed. And this is a quote. Conservationism regards the existing supply of economically usable natural resources as nature-given, writes Reisman. This is that George Reisman guy. Rather than as the product of human intelligence and its corollary, capital accumulation. That makes no sense. It it does make no fucking sense. It makes sense. Well, it goes back to, remember, he was the one that was arguing that it's just about, you know... Uh, the amount of usable and accessible mineral, uh, minerals uh, and that that relation to the amount we are economically capable of exploiting. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you have enough... I mean, he is correct that if you have enough capital, you can have whatever you want. He is essentially correct yeah, about that, I guess. Wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it does not see that what nature provides is for all practical purposes an infinite supply of matter and energy which human intelligence can progressively master in the process, creating a steadily increasing supply of economically usable natural resources. Skipping down a little ways. Confusing the present supply with all the natural resources present in nature, the conservationists naively believe that every act of production that consumes natural resources is an act of impoverishment, using up an allegedly priceless, irreplaceable treasure of nature. On this basis, they conclude that the pursuit of self-interest by individuals under economic freedom leads to the wanton consumption of mankind's irreplaceable natural heritage with no regard for the needs of future generations. And two things there. One, that is not the argument that conservationists need. Is it make? Is the argument that conservationists make with regard to some resources which are that way, right? Like, like we've been joking about, there is a peak oil that we don't know. I don't know if we're at peak oil. I don't know if we hit it already and are on the downward spoke. But at some point, we will hit peak oil, right? There is a finite amount of naturally occurring oil in the Earth's crust. It just is. Until we start shoving all those bodies down there, right? <laughs> in the same sense, a lot of what conservationists will complain about is things like, okay... If you go and exploit that area, you are going to destroy the landscape, the woods, the trees. You're going to cut off the top of that mountain to get the coal from inside of it. You're going to destroy the natural wonder that I would like those who come after me to be able to experience and enjoy. Which is, again, another thing that he does not account for in his little stupid fucking argument here. The other thing, I mean, I think he wants to pretend like it's all, oh, these people don't think that trees will grow back if we cut them down for lumber. Idiots. Like, no, we we have a term called renewable resources for that fucking reason. Like, people understand these things. It's just dumb. It's just really dumb. 
Skipping down, though, now we get off of that resource depletion argument and to the carbon dioxide argument, which is where finally, how many pages into this chapter are we, Benedict? Are we about uh, 35 pages yeah, in or something? Yeah, 35, yeah, yeah. We're 10 pages into the second half of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we start actually talking about climate change, mm-hmm. which was supposedly I mean, that, that the was purpose about of climate this chapter. change, kind of. Was it? I don't I think guess. so. That was about resource depletion. That he was arguing, like, there's enough uh, iron ore in the crust for us to use, and we won't run out. I think that's what he was arguing. Now, on page 171, we finally get to some fucking climate change shit. And he starts by saying, quote, Respecting the second issue, carbon dioxide emissions and climate change generally, it must be first unequivocally stated that carbon dioxide is not, never has been, and never can be a pollutant. Moreover, during the last half century, scientists, in scare quotes for some reason, and experts, also in scare quotes, have asserted with certainty that the Earth was facing a cooling period, Mm -hmm. then a warming period, and now simply, and more broadly put, climate change, thereby covering all possibilities with no future need for clarification or correction. So, we gotta deal with that first. And first off, to start with... uh, what he says there is is a giant fucking lie. So, what one thing that climate denialists will always like to point to is the fact that Time Magazine once had a like global cooling cover or something like mm-hmm. that on an issue of Time Magazine. And the fact is that back in the 1970s, there was uh, some academic discussion about where are we and what's going to happen moving forward from here. Yep. And the big uh, dispute among scientists was on what they thought were the two primary forces driving cooling and warming back then. And that was CO2 and carbon in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And the other one was aerosols. Yeah. And that doesn't damaging, necessarily just Damaging refer... the ozone, right? Well, it's no, a... that doesn't just... It doesn't just refer to aerosols as you're thinking of them, right? The, uh, the ozone hole and stuff uh-huh. like that. It also refers to aerosolized small fine particulate, which okay. blocks sunlight from entering the atmosphere and will reduce the temperature, right? That's why when, like, there's a major uh, uh, volcano eruption, like, it can cause some small amount of cooling for a short time afterwards. And eventually that will dissipate Mm -hmm. as that particulate matter that's in the air uh, goes down. And it does, though, I should note, also mean human-caused particulate, human-caused aerosols, right? So things that do block uh, smog, right, for example, that Mm -hmm. could block some sunlight from entering... Uh, the atmosphere. There's a really good Ars Technica article that I'm going to link on this from 2016, which deals with a lot of this and goes into some very big detail about what scientists were actually arguing about at the time and what they were talking about. And it basically breaks down along anyone who says that they were sure that the Earth was going to cool mm-hmm. is a fucking liar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the general consensus was on the side of Definitely what we are doing, burning fossil fuels, adding carbon in the atmosphere, is causing changes and will change uh, our atmosphere and our climate over the coming decades. Uh, They were unsure about what that meant at the time. Science has obviously gotten much better since then. I I hate to have to say it, but the 1970s... Science not is exactly constantly the getting better. No, no, no. Science right. is constantly getting better. Yeah. But just consider the massive leaps and bounds that have come since computers really hit mainstream. As far as science goes, right? There, we live in a different era, right? It's like going from the fucking Bronze Age to the Iron Age uh, when we introduce computers into our, our scientific uh, um, ouvre or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, I guess. But 
like I said, I will link to that. So that's some some nice horseshit there that he's putting out. But second, Benedict, second, and this is probably the best quote from the chapter. Of course, as any elementary school science teacher explains to her students, carbon dioxide <laughs> is oxygen to plants. And you in know turn, how teachers lie to their students. Plants generate oxygen for the rest of us. Uh-huh. So... So he deforestation with deforestation the, isn't a huge fucking problem then. Yeah, he literally goes with, hey, hey, carbon dioxide can't be bad. It's plant food. Yep. He literally goes and with it. And I, I, for one, welcome our new plant overlords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you watched, so there, there's a new season of uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Have you watched any of that? No. You haven't watched any of it? No. Oh, you've got to check it. It's a bunch of short animated features, uh, sci-fi stuff, and it's really, really fantastically done. I highly recommend uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, but in one of the original seasons, I think the first season, uh, there was one where it was like yogurt took over the world, where like yogurt okay. became sentient. Okay. <laughs> it just makes me go. It's it like a really, it's just a fun little short thing. It's really great. You should check it out. Anyways, but now we're getting to the meat. He's going to provide us with some proof. For uh-huh. these claims. And Benedict, how good do you think his proof likely is? Pretty poor, I would say. Yeah, pretty so, bad. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. So, he cites here, to begin with, quote, For example, as recently as September 23rd, 2019, quote, A global network of more than 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists you know, and the professionals. The adjectives you use to describe people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, also, yeah, globa- globally, there were 500 scientists that uh-huh. agreed with me. Yeah. is not the dunk that you think Experienced scientists and professionals in climate and related fields. And Benedict... That and related fields yeah, the part the there is doing most of the sure. lifting. Yeah, that's the oil Doing industry. most of the lifting. Si- and, uh, and also, it's a complete fucking lie. Uh-huh. Signed a letter to the United Nations Secretary General insisting that, quote, climate change should be less political, while climate policy should be more scientific. Scientists should openly address the uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real benefits as well as the imagined costs of adaptation to global warming and the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of mitigation. So that they're, they're just saying that, A, climate change isn't real. B, if it is real, it's probably a good thing, not a bad one. <laughs> That's what they're arguing there. For real, that's that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So of course, you know me. I I looked into this. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Of, of course, I had to. Uh, like, I'm yeah, not gonna yeah. let this no, shit yeah. sit. So this comes back to uh, there are a lot of these sorts of things that have gone around throughout the years, uh, but this one in particular, this 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists and professionals uh-huh. in climate and related fields. That's that's astounding to me. I love that so much. Um, that is such a, a lame description, even for what this actually is. That's gotta only... that's gotta set your like lawyer senses tingling, right? Yeah. This is like, oh. uh, everyone who signed on to that was self-identified as far as what their profession is. Okay. Only ten of them self-identified as climate scientists. Okay. Ten of them. Most of them are engineers or professionals in non-technical fields. Mm-hmm. Engineers, you know how they're all, and as as the son of an engineer, let me tell you, nobody thinks they know more while knowing less than a fucking engineer. I don't know about that. Uh, What about philosophers? (laughs) Okay. Hey, we're never going to get Aaron back on the show. I know. It's deep in the show. It's fine. He's not listened all this way. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so this thing has been thoroughly reviewed, right? Because it was sent to the UN. They tried to get a, a, a bunch of... 
uh, press out of it. It's been thoroughly reviewed and destroyed when it was put through actual peer review style uh, analysis. Uh, climatefeedback.org, which is a website run by and for climate scientists and you know sort of presenting things to the public, uh, they did uh, this where they put I think it was either I think it was six climate scientists who they had look over this letter uh, and write a very thorough analysis and, and beat the living shit out of it, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. they destroyed this fucking thing. Uh, they are the ones who did a lot of research about who are the actual people. So, like, Amber Kerr, uh, who is okay. a uh, professor at the University of California, Davis, UC, mm-hmm. UC Davis, if you've heard of it, um, she wrote, while reviewing the claims related to agriculture, I noted that only 26 out of the 506 signatories, 5%, were professionals in biology, ecology, or environmental scientists. Mm. Environmental science. I, suggest, I suspect that the vast majority of signatories had little direct knowledge or understanding of this part of the petition that they signed. This made me curious to delve more deeply into the makeup of the signatory list. I categorized all 506 signatories according to their self-identified field of expertise. Only 10 identified as climate scientists and 4 identified as meteorologists. Together, that's 2.8% of the total. That's... Not that, great. That's, that's not great. That's not great. The most prevalent groups, continuing the quote from her, of signatories were geologists, 19%, and engineers, 21%, many of whom were implicitly or explicitly involved in fossil energy extraction. Mm -hmm. Most of the rest were physicists, chemists, and mathematicians. A large fraction of the signatories were not scientists, but rather business executives, writers, activists, and lobbyists, totaling 11.3%. Yeah. And so they also went into the, you know, they didn't really, this letter doesn't really make any scientific claims, um, but they spent time going into, like, here they made this vague claim, we're going to show how that's bullshit. It's really great. If you're interested, I will definitely post this in the show notes. You can go check it out. But this is number one of our really bad sources on this list. And one of the people who is behind the group that put together this letter um, is a man named Christopher Monckton. Benedict, are you familiar with Mr. Moncton? Uh, vaguely, but not not he huge. He is the third Viscount Moncton of oh, Brenchley. Wow. Okay, interesting. Uh, member of UKIP. Okay, former cool, advisor cool, cool. to also uh, completely uh, former advisor to uh, 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 Miss Thatcher. Okay, uh, and also a complete fucking loon who has made numerous appearances on the Alex Jones Show. Uh, and according to George Monbiot at The Guardian, uh, he wrote of Moncton that he has a degree in classics and a diploma in journalism, and as far as I can tell, no further qualifications. That Great. is Mr. Christopher Moncton. Okay, Lord, thank I you, should, thank you, Mr. I, I Moncton. I should use his proper title, yeah. Lord Viscount, Moncton. Viscount I? Moncton, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, is a Viscount a lord? Do you get called lord if you're uh, a Viscount? No, oh, I don't think is. so. Viscount is lower okay. than lord, yeah, yeah. Um... The next person, are we at that point yet? Uh, well, he goes through a bunch of shit, right? He says that they say that there's natural factors as well as anthropogenic. Blah, pfft, that means nothing if you don't explain to what extent the natural versus anthropogenic factors are causing climate change. Uh, they do the CO2 is plant food thing again, which I just fucking love. That's such a great, stupid thing for people to say. And then he gets to our next expert, Ian Plymer, Emeritus Professor of Earth Sciences at University of Melbourne, and professor of mining geology at the University of Adelaide. And Ian Plymer, uh, I should just note, uh, this is a guy who he goes to for stuff like 
you know, the, the global warming is not science because uh, they're they're not treating it scientifically. It's a preordained uh, condition, and they're just so, ignoring yeah, all the other evidence. Fuck this guy. But uh, Ian Plymer was appointed to the boards of Roy Hill Holdings and Queensland Coal Investments uh, back in the mid-2000s. He was in the past a director of no less than nine mining or oil companies. Oh, interesting. So he might be one of the people that is thinking that there is extensive amounts of uh, resources uh-huh. for us to, to extract uh-huh. from the earth. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's also, as noted, not a climate scientist. He is a geologist who wrote his PhD. I believe it was his PhD. I said It says this was his specialty, and I think that meant it was from... I don't know how they do things at other universities. I don't know if they do it like we do in the U.S., but on tungsten molybdenum bismuth deposits. That is his his specialty. Okay. As far as I can tell. Sure. Next guy we get. Next guy we get. Patrick J. Michaels. He has a PhD in ecological climatology. So, more so than the vast majority of people we've had cited or will get cited, uh, he seems to have credentials that make sense to even consider the things he has to say. But he's also a Cato Institute fellow. Yep. He is a fellow at the that Competitive tracks. Enterprise Institute. Uh-huh. He's the founder of a consulting firm called New Hope Environmental Services that basically does PR for polluters. He was a member scientist and individual supporter at the Advancement of Sound Science Coalition, a group founded in 1993 by Benedict. Who do you think? Uh, Who do you think founded 1993? that? 1993, the Advancement the of Science Co- of Sound Science Coalition. Who would be interested in sound science in 1993? Um, Who would be more interested in it? This must be a nonpartisan group just doing great work. Shouldn't it be? I feel like it's uh, Ron Paul. I don't know. <laughs> no, Benedict. It was uh, founded by the Phyllis, Philip Morris Tobacco Company oh, okay, cool. to yeah, attempt to promote sense. junk science, discrediting the science about the dangers of smoking. Awesome. That is what the Advancement of Sound Science Coalition did, Benedict. Right. This guy was a member scientist and individual supporter of that. And one could see the similarity between that and what he does now and think, wow, it's just a circle. It's not an overlap. It's just a circle. It's the same thing. They're doing exactly the same thing. It's the same picture. Uh, Next asshole we go to. Richard S. Lindzen, who, again, does have a resume which would support him at least being relevant to sight. He is an atmospheric physicist and a former professor of meteorology at MIT. Sounds like a great, uh, great uh, resume, doesn't it? Sure, yeah, I'm uh, impressed. But also, also a Cato Institute fellow who described ExxonMobil as "quote the only principled oil mm. and gas company I know in the U.S. in the U.S." and according to journalists, well, at least Ross he's admitting Geltzman, that the others aren't. Like that's better yeah. than that's better than being like, hey, they're all principled. Yeah, and according to journalist Ross Gelbspan, oh, I think he was being paid by ExxonMobil. I'm sure. According to journalist Ross Gelbspan, he charged up to $2,500 a day for his consulting services to oil and coal organizations. Cool. So, it's always the money, man. It's always the money. Next, Robert M. Carter, uh, who is an emeritus fellow and science advisor at the Institute of Public Affairs. And wouldn't you just know, that's... Of course, a right-wing front group just, mm-hmm. just has a neutral-sounding name like they all do. Also, has a PhD in paleontology. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. Uh, geology, I, mean, I could argue. Look, you could argue with me that geology, you could look at the rocks and find out about oil, the climate. Oil problem. is nothing more than crushed dinosaurs. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I will take it, honestly. Like. It's a paleontologist yep. group. Uh, But the Institute of Public Affairs, where he works, 
uh, was also an organization connected to several of these other folks. It is <laughs> another Philip Morris-backed advocacy group <laughs> that also takes in oil and gas money. So sort of a, you know, a switch hitter. It'll go from arguing that cigarettes aren't bad for you to arguing that breathing those, those beautiful coal fumes are good for you. It, mm-hmm. It'll do it all. Um, the International Science, uh, Climate Science Coalition, which is another group that he's affiliated with, uh, is a right-wing think tank that gets money from Cato, the Heartland Institute, and far-right coal billionaire and now deceased asshole Bob Murray, famous for the Eat Shit Bob John Oliver bit. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy. So that's that's where we get all of that from. Um, and then we get one last guy. I didn't go into talking about this, but this Carter guy. Uh, or, I'm sorry. No, this is Bob Carter. We were just talking about him. But he says about Carter, quote, Carter makes a point that no serious person should dispute. Quote, the reality is that no scientist on the planet can tell you with credible probability whether the climate in 2030 will be cooler or warmer than today. In such circumstances, the only rational conclusion to draw is that we need to be prepared to react to either warming or cooling over the next several decades, and also to severe weather events, depending upon what nature chooses to serve up mm, to us. Yeah, yeah, nature is the famous choice-having thing. Uh-huh, skipping down a little ways. What is needed is not unnecessary and penal measures against CO2 emissions, but instead a prudent and cost-effective policy of preparation for and adaptive response to all climate events and hazards. Doesn't that just sound nice and reasonable? Yeah. Like these people are just trying to be prepared for everything, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't that make sense? And then Mark says, quote, Rather than giving politicians, bureaucrats, media, advocates, and activists pause, these experts and innumerable others are demeaned and dismissed as they dare to challenge an ideologically driven movement that targets America's economic system and presses on more aggressively than ever. For example, as if lifting the language directly from the Margarita Declaration on Climate Change, in authoring her congressional resolution for a Green New Deal, Representative Alejandria Ocasio-Cortez and dozens of her Democrat colleagues... There are dozens of us. (laughs) ...drafted an equally ludicrous Marxist-centric bill. I have included most of it here because to summarize the bill would diminish a true understanding of its dangerousness. Yeah, because it's all like pretty reasonable and good, honestly. Like a lot of it is just like, hey, we should create climate jobs. Like that would be a good use of it. Here's my problem, Bennett. Here's one of my my huge problems is that he he claims, he claims that he included uh, most of it here. Because to summarize it would diminish a true understanding. Yeah, there's no way that seven pages. Why didn't you include all of it? Yeah. Why are there ellipses in here? Why didn't you just include the whole goddamn thing? You know why. I know why, Bennett. Yeah. But it is worth us, I guess, uh, recapping a little bit of what the Green New Deal actually is before he starts bullshitting about it. And also, I want to mention uh, a lot of it. Whenever we do books that have to do with climate change, one of my largest sources and one I will always direct people to is the Smog blog, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably the organization that does the most to cover climate denialists and all the bullshit artists, where they're getting their money from, the bullshit statements and backtracks they've had to make. They do fantastic work. So if you ever um, are questioning, hey, um, is this is this group a bunch of climate change liars? Check them on DSmog. <laughs> probably. probably. If you're questioning it, they probably are, yeah. But so he said that the Green New Deal is similar to the Margarita Declaration. In the sense that neither of them are binding in any way whatsoever on anyone, I'll give him that point. I will give him that point, at the very least. In the sense that the Green New Deal 
also talks about inequitable distribution and doing things in ways that promote justice and equity, sure, fine. But to call the Green New Deal a Marxist document, it's probably one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. And also, I want to remind everyone that he has been pretending that the economic or the ecological movement, the climate change movement, whatever, is all about this degrowth position mm-hmm. for the this entire chapter. Yeah, this is all about creating jobs and capitalism and creating well, infrastructure. It's yeah, dumb. I'm just going to read a few selections from the Green New Deal that I think point to the fact that that's a bullshit thing to it claim. Is. That any of this is degrowth. <laughs> for example, section 1C under, well, 1C of whatever section this is. To invest in the infrastructure and industry of the United States to sustainably meet the challenges of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? That sounds great. Uh, 2F, spurring massive growth in clean manufacturing in the United States and removing pollution and greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. from manufacturing and industry as much as is technologically feasible. Always got to love that as much as is technologically mm-hmm. feasible line that they also ignore yeah. whenever they talk about the Green New Deal. G, uh, 2G, working collaboratively with farmers and ranchers in the United States to eliminate pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector as much as is technologically feasible. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, Section 4E, directing investments to spur economic development. Yeah, it's framed around the New Deal. What does people think this is? That's why it's called the Green New Deal. Yeah, it's just just so fucking dumb to pretend this is a degrowth document, to pretend that it does any of the things they claim. But what he jumps to immediately after those many pages of the Green New Deal is the bullshit about how much this is going to cost. Mm -hmm. And we should point out... Um, if you want to go read the Green... I'll, I'll link to the Green New Deal in the uh, show notes so you can check it out yourself. If you read it, what you come away with it from, from my point of view, is, well, this is vague as shit. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't actually uh, say any of what I've heard the right claiming that it says. No. Every time I hear the right say, they want to take away your, your hamburger, I go, point to it. Point yeah, to it in it's here. It's the cow farts, isn't it? That's the thing they always Right, about, it's the right? cow farts. And it's the fact that, yes, uh, cows do put out a large amount of methane into the atmosphere. And then they take that and go, they want to get rid of all cows. Ignoring the as much as technologically feasible line that is there at that point when cow is, you know, or, or agriculture. It's not even, it doesn't even say cows. As far as I remember, it doesn't even say cows. It just says uh, agricultural emissions. That's what it says, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of nuts that they, because people have talked about the issue yeah, yeah, of, it's not of emissions from cows, stuff. right? Yeah. But that's just them jumping to it. But he says about the Green New Deal, quote, Milton Ezradi at Forbes rounded up some of the cost estimates for this proposal. Here are figures for just some of its goals. Quote, the proposed expansion of renewables to provide 100% of the nation's power needs would, according to respected physicist Christopher Clark, respected is, is not the right word there, uh, cost about $2 trillion, or about $200 billion a year for 10 years. So that's the first thing to note, mm-hmm. right? A, it's virtually impossible and transparently bullshit to put a cost on the Green New Deal because it's completely devoid of specifics, it's aspirational, and it has a bunch of caveats about doing this in a way that is not disruptive well, or in so, a way that I is... Mean, the, the other thing is, like, these are all technically investments, right? Is the, is the Absolutely. And so, like, right. you, you might talk about cost, but, like, what's the return? Like, what's the return on investment? And that will you, that will mitigate it in some way by creating jobs. Like, and that comes in when we get to the, the overall number in a minute. We'll yeah, talk about okay, that. Cool. Yeah. 
So, but uh, this number of $2 trillion a year on renewables. So point out again that they always go with over 10 years whenever they give this number because that's how they can make the numbers bigger, mm -hmm. obviously. And they want to do that as much as possible because this is a propaganda effort. It's not a legitimate critique. So, but the, the $2 trillion a year on renewables, I looked into. And one of the things I found was that it's... I, I'm not sure anyone knows how much we actually spend on building new power plants every year. Mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be any. Or how much tracking. we subsidize the coal industry. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But the, the measure I think that is important to look at is cost per megawatt hour. I think that's the appropriate metric because what we want to know is how much um, does it cost us to get the same unit of electricity, right? And that's not even considering what I think are the obvious benefits of things like coal or gas-powered plants produce pollution, whereas things like solar or wind do not. I think that's an additional benefit, even beyond just the economic aspect that they are talking about here in this section. But in 2019, solar and wind power became cheaper than natural gas per megawatt hour. Coal is insanely more expensive than, megawatt, uh, than all the others per megawatt hour and has been for a long time. Uh, especially solar and wind and, and natural gas. Those are probably the three lowest cost per megawatt hour. They are in the, I want to say, 50-something dollars per megawatt. I have it pulled up here on one of these pages, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have a billion tabs open, and I don't know. So natural gas right now sits at about $53 per uh, megawatt hour. Uh, at the same time, wind is about $51 per megawatt hour, mm -hmm. and solar is... Was that forty nine dollars yep. per megawatt hour? So those are our three least expensive methods mm -hmm. of producing of producing energy. Now, if you know anything about the United States, you know that we've been using coal for a long fucking time. And what that means is, if we aren't doing any new stuff, we're not building new coal plants. We're just not. And that, of course, we heard Trump complaining about not building new coal plants. And you know, when you consider the fact that currently coal is ninety five dollars per megawatt hour nearly double Twice those other three yeah. I just talked about, why the fuck would you build new coal plants? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. And nuclear is up even higher. Nuclear is like $116 per uh, megawatt hour. And I think, look, the discussion to have on nuclear, I'm open for it because it doesn't produce any um, any uh, uh, you know uh, carbon dioxide released in the atmosphere. We can talk about what we do with waste and that sort of stuff and the downsides of that, but it doesn't matter so much in this conversation. But point is, every year, the United States builds hundreds of new power plants. Hundreds of them. Some of them are just to replace old power plants that are going offline. Some of them are to create new uh, electricity generation capabilities because we keep expanding as a country. We get new people, new homes, new you know gadgets that everyone needs to plug in and have juice for, all that sort of stuff. One thing that they obviously don't consider in this metric they put out of $2 trillion over 10 years, and again, they're not claiming, as far as I can tell, that that is just government expenditure of $2 trillion. Because remember, there are private investments that go into building uh, electrical generation as well, as much as I might think that we should just have completely, you know, government-controlled power systems because we need to make sure that no fucking hedge fund uh, can control that sort of shit and, yeah. and screw us all over. But... They don't do things like consider the fact that, well, if we are building solar and wind, that means we are no longer building these extra natural gas plants. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to spend so money you can there. Yeah, exactly. Deduct that cost from your overall cost. Yeah, of course, yeah. they don't consider those sorts of things. They just treat it all as an expenditure. 
the Electric Power Institute, which is one that he cites here uh, for this smart power grid cost of $400 billion, I, wasn't able to, I was unable to find uh, any group that exists called the Electric Power Institute. Does not, as far as I can tell, exist as a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not. There are groups with similar names. There's like uh, the Electric Power Research Institute. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the one that he's talking about, but I cannot find anything called the Electric Power Institute. He then says next, AOC's aspiration to draw down greenhouse gases would cost upwards of $11 trillion, or about $110 billion a year for 10 years. Okay, uh, again, you, you didn't provide us how you get that. Yeah. And again, it's uh, uh, there's, there's no specifics in the deal that would give you any of that. It just doesn't make any sense. God damn it. Continuing. The deal's goal to upgrade every home and industrial building in the country to state-of-the-art safety and energy efficiency would run some $2.5 trillion over 10 years, or about $250 billion a year. That number, of course, depends on what you consider upgrading every home and industrial building to state-of-the-art safety and energy efficiency. What does mm-hmm. that mean? That's a vague phrase. Very vague, so, yeah. Very, very vague. And also, I think the fact that they don't consider that much of this would probably be accomplished with things like tax rebates, mm-hmm. you know, for people who, who own the building or who do the uh, the work to in- improve it. That's how much of this would be on. And these people are supposed to fucking love tax rebates. Mm-hmm. I thought they're all about those tax cuts. That's really what I thought. He then throws in the living wage, which he says will cost $543 billion in its first year. O- okay. Cool. Yeah. Sure, I guess. I, what do you consider a living wage? Uh, I think we all have very different ideas of what that means. I don't know. And then yeah, for but some also, reason, like, who, who pays that? Like, that's not, that's not the government right. necessarily. That's, that's not that's, a government expenditure. Yeah, exactly. uh, but then I, I think it's still, even if it's not a government expenditure, I think it's worth mentioning, right? That it's yeah, but cost, I don't think it know, counts some towards portion the, of society, some, the uh, final, yeah. like, government uh, budget impact that he's clearly trying to make it seem. Right. He, he definitely wants people to think that this is all government expenditures that he's talking about here. He definitely wants that. Because the next one he has, he brings up single-payer health care. And that, uh, according to an MIT plan, it costs $1.4 trillion a year, right? So, okay, that's definitely a government expenditure. And I think there is some mention of health care in the Green New Deal, but I don't know that, uh, you know, Medicare for All or single-payer health care was ever mentioned in the no. Green New Deal. No, so he's really I, amalgamating I, a lot of things here. He really is. He really is. And he, then he asks, how are they going to pay for all that? Mm-hmm. How are they going to do it? He says, well... AOC wants to raise the maximum tax rate to 70%. Mm. Oh, Put it to hey? 90, like it was in the 50s. Sure, man. Like, we talked about that in the past. Like, uh, is that supposed to scare your reader who won't be affected by that? Oh, no, it is. Yeah, they all think they're going to be mean, taxed at 70%. They all oh, think yeah. they are temporarily depressed billionaires, I'm, yep. I'm sure. That's always a thing, of course. But then we get to the final number that he gives out for this. And he says that the American Action Forum which is headed by former Congressional Budget Office Director Douglas Holtz Eakin, concludes that the Green New Deal may cost up to $93 trillion over 10 years, between $8.3 trillion and $12.3 trillion to eliminate, at least theoretically, carbon emissions from the power and transportation sectors, and then $42 to $80 trillion for its, quote, massive social and economic undertakings. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't give a shit. But... Of course, that $93 trillion is complete bullshit. As we've mentioned, I have to point it out again, you cannot get solid numbers from the from vague a framework, yeah. list of stuff we should look into that is the Green New Deal. 
You cannot come up with numbers from that. No. It's just not possible. And that's why, and I will link to, I think, a factcheck.org piece I was looking at. Um, Basically, every economist who was asked to look at this, or every policy expert, they all said, I I can't give you a number from that, except for the conservative hacks. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, this is not a good faith attempt. This is propaganda. Mm -hmm. The American Action Forum, which is the number from which he got that number, is, of course... A far right-wing uh, arm of the nonprofit American Action Network, which spent tens of billions of dollars, sorry, not billions, millions of dollars, that's my typo, electing Republicans in general elections over the last decade. Of course, since there are no specifics in the Green New Deal, they reached their number by coming up with their own idea for what every one of those broad proposals mean and amping up that cost as high as possible mm-hmm. without factoring in anything else. And I mean, they didn't do things like factoring in any increased revenue that would come from this sort of expenditure, Uh, any benefit to society, which of course is the purpose of government, or reduction in other costs related to these sorts of expenditures. For example, as I said, if we build solar plants, we no longer need to build coal or Mm -hmm. oil or natural gas plants. Thus, you can deduct the costs of otherwise necessary coal plants, Mm -hmm. which they do not do. And repairs and... Of course, all of that. Uh, They did not include things like if you improve the air you reduce the amount of childhood asthma and Mm -hmm. associated costs, which impact our medical care system. Mm -hmm. Uh, You massively inspur uh, uh, investments in energy-efficient technology, then the cost of that technology goes down over the long run. And future expenditures on that same technology are cheaper. Business 101. And and not to mention, as I said, they just made a lot of shit up, too. Yeah, why not? (laughs) They've got form for it in other places, so why not? Yeah. And other real economists uh, believe that it's possible to achieve net zero, which is you know, the big buzzword a lot of people talk about, by 2050 with about 2% of gross domestic product, or about $18, uh, $18 trillion over a little more than 25 years. Where all the Republicans, when they talk about that, they're claiming basically it'll take 10% of GDP over just 10 years. Yeah. So uh, it, there's, there's just, it's bad faith hackery. It's all just bad faith hackery. But... He says, Levin says, about all this, quote, I continue to return to the fact that it would require us to abandon such foundational principles as limited government, private property rights, and the capitalist economic system, and require the assembly of an even more massive bureaucracy, with immense regulatory control and police powers. Decision-making would be further centralized in Washington, D.C., and politicians would wield enormous authority over the individual and citizenry generally. Furthermore, imagine the brownouts, blackouts, fuel shortages, well, there scarcity be of basic any if we necessities. Did it right. Well, okay, a, I just gotta say, I have always thought that brownouts is a funny phrase. It is, yeah. It's a, fu- it's a funny word. Brownouts is just a funny word. But look, all this again, we've said a number of times that all these people want to do this from a pro-growth perspective. Mm-hmm. That they're not into like re- reducing the the uh, availability of necessities. Nobody is in favor of that. It's just horseshit. But of course we know, Benedict, old socialist Joe. <laughs> loves loves the socialism, is fully on board with the Green New Deal. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, know yeah. how socialist Joe is all in for the Green New Deal. He says on the next page, quote, Even so, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party are all in. One of Biden's first acts after his inauguration was signing an executive order returning the United States to the Paris Agreement mm-hmm. of 2015. And he 
his argument for this is really dumb. It's you should treat this like a treaty. It should have to be passed yeah, by it's the right. Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, he just rails against executive orders by democratic presidents here. Okay, but consider also, Benedict, that the Paris Agreement it's a is a it's non- non-binding. <laughs> it's non-binding, exactly. What would there be to pass by the Senate? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, we should maybe think about this. The Senate it doesn't resolved. actually commit the U.S. to anything, so there's no purpose to it. And then, oh God, this was the part that was like, holy shit. So, um, the entire Paris Agreement, I don't know if you know this, Benedict, um, the entire Paris Climate Accord mm-hmm. is completely invalid because China agreed to it. And yeah, they, yeah, that's true. And they treat Muslims who Mark would also like to genocide poorly. So... Yeah, no, mm-hmm. this is not... The China bit is completely nonsensical. I don't think we even really need to... We don't really. We don't. It's another one of those cases where the entirety like, of my where, response... Where do, where do I put this, I guess, in the climate change chapter? Yeah, like, the, the entirety of my response is, go fuck yourself. You also want to genocide the Muslims. Yeah, exactly. I, don't, I, I don't have to take you seriously when you talk about yeah. that. Uh, but then, you know, we get to more of Socialist Joe's actions uh, of destroying the United States and, and all the, the good that capitalism has done. Uh, shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline, mm-hmm. of course. We know all about that. That's what it's all about. Of course, according to Mark, it's also hypocritical because um, pipelines, they're the best way to move oil. So, okay, you know, we don't want that, though. But yeah, yeah, but you, we're going to keep moving it, and it uses more carbon dioxide to use pipelines than rail cars. So, there you, you go. know, you know. He actually says at one point, and this is this is utter nonsense. I don't know what he meant by this. I think I know based on the context, but this sentence on its own makes no sense, where he says, quote, of course, the use of fossil fuels has actually reduced carbon dioxide levels. Okay. It is cleaner. It is cheaper and cleaner than coal. I think that is the context that makes it make sense. Mm-hmm. But does he not know that coal is also a fossil fuel? Yeah. Does he not know that? <laughs> well, it's clean coal, isn't it? That's the, I think yeah. he thinks that he means like liquid fossil fuel oh, okay, is what he yeah. thinks. Uh, maybe. I think that's what he means. I just don't know. But uh, yeah, so we got some some more stuff. He's got like a press release from the White House about some Biden executive orders from back in January of 2021. And he points out that there's this one executive order that went out, and it did a couple of things. It had the director of national intelligence prepare a national intelligence estimate on the security implications of climate change. Okay, that's—I don't know why he's mad about mm-hmm. that. Uh, it calls for the establishment of a civilian climate corps, which, Again, cool. Fine, I wish that would happen. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be, that'd be a cool thing to have happen. Um, it uh, directs federal agencies to develop programs, policies, and activities— to address the disproportionate health, environmental, economic, and climate impacts on disadvantaged communities. This, again, remember, this again, is the evil yeah, stuff fine. that yeah, Mark is, yeah. Marks Ooh, thinks is Marxism. Uh, it establishes a White House Environmental Justice Interagency Agency Council and a White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. And it directs the Secretary of the Interior to pause on entering into new oil and natural gas leases on public lands or offshore waters to the extent possible and launch a rigorous review of all existing leasing and permitting practices. Mm-hmm. That was the great evil that Mark, that Socialist Joe did when he got into office, that Mark is showing us is the Marxism, I guess. Yeah, um, I, whatever. But he says about that, Benedict, quote, Biden's executive order bypassed Congress and instituted by edict the foundation of the Green New Deal movement's radical agenda. 
How? I'm not sure. I'm still not sure <laughs> how. Continuing, in addition to striking blow after blow against the capitalist engine of the American economy, Biden next sought to seize for the federal government unprecedented authority over the private economy by expending unimaginable sums of money and plunging the nation into inconceivable debt. These aren't unimaginable debt. sums. They are literally sums that we literally can put imaginable. next to. Literally yeah. the amounts that we did spend on the COVID rescue plan. That's, that's all he's complaining about. And mm -hmm. it's just... We heard all this before. I think we heard this from uh, Lauren Boebert in one I'm of sure the did, uh, yeah. bullet points videos where she was just complaining, why did this thing have uh, $10 billion to subsidize blah? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of shit. They're just mad about it. That's not real infrastructure. It's like, go fuck yourself. It's just, it's just dumb. Yeah. And then we got some complaining about California in the summer of 2020 when California had blackouts. Mm -hmm. You may recall PG&E. Uh, and its bankruptcy were related to that event. But of course, no, it's it's all just California's environmental policies to mark. That's what it yeah, really was. Yeah, also, wasn't it that they like didn't repair their like wiring and plants and stuff that was Well, that was related to a lot of the wildfires. Yeah. And there were some parts of the state that had emergency safety shutdowns mm -hmm. uh, to prevent <coughs> the possibility of new wildfires uh, during the hottest parts of the summer. There also was an electricity shortage. And that was in part due to a couple of things. So, <coughs> as I mentioned... PG&E had been in and out of bankruptcy over the entirety, well, my entire fucking lifetime, yeah. basically. Uh, but for the last 10 years or so, PG&E has been dealing with, A, uh, the, the, uh, some of the fires that they caused and the repercussions therefrom and the sums that they had to pay out in lawsuits and otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, obviously, when you're you know paying out for those sorts of things, you're not investing as much in your existing power plants. You're not building new power generation. You don't have as much money to do so, et cetera, et cetera. It's just another reason why fucking power generation should be a government activity, not a fucking private company thing. Yeah. And yes, don't get on me about the fact that PG&E is largely government-owned. It's a complicated structure that PG&E has. We can talk about it another time if you want. But... Mm -hmm. Another part of it was that there were several uh, scheduled plant shutdowns in California. Um, there were several nuclear plants that were being taken offline, so they were scheduled to be taken offline. Uh, one of them, I think, is being taken offline in 2024, another in 2025. But the way that process works is in reducing their generation over time. And then when your fuel is completely expended, you take them completely offline. Mm -hmm. There were also several other plants that were being decommissioned due to age. Um, and a large part of this comes down to the fact that we just couldn't get power generation up fast enough. Mm -hmm. We couldn't build pl enough new plants fast enough. We were obviously in 2020 in the middle of fucking COVID. Yeah. That might've also had well, it's something like, to it's do It's like with. what's happened with oil now is that everyone like deprecated your, their ability to refine oil and, uh, uh, when there was a, uh, demand side problem. And then now mm -hmm. they can't get the supply side operating fast enough again. Cause it's very easy to shut things down, but it's not so easy to, to get stuff up and running again. Yep. And then, but then, Benedict, after talking about California, he fucking lies about Texas. Yeah, why not? He lies about the February 21, 21 Texas freeze, which I think, ev I thought everyone knew about by now, mm -hmm. because uh, that was so widely covered how much the right was fucking lying about what happened in Texas. And he just goes right along with it. He just puts out the same bullshit line that it was because of wind turbines mm. that Texas had blackouts. Yeah, that is not true in, at all. In the middle of, uh, I believe it was several days of sub-zero temperatures. Um, that was not the fucking case, obviously. And he puts in some great, he has some great bullshit sleights of hand in here. In which, for example, he says, quote, 
And between the mornings of February 7th and February 11th, wind as a share of the state's electricity fell to 8% from 42%. Now, Benedict, that sounds, whoa, isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? 42%? It was 42%? That was because those gas and oil plants were having difficulties and wind had had to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. And then it started to fall when the wind turbines themselves started to fail. Yeah. It's just... Holy shit, you cannot lie harder. It's just bullshit. If you aren't familiar with this story, um, back in February 2021, uh, many people died in Texas because they had a number of blackouts during one of the coldest cold snaps um, of the past decade. And what it came down to was many of Texas's uh, natural gas pipelines, natural gas production facilities, and natural gas power plants failed. Because they're and they're gauges. also not on the national grid because they refuse yes. to be on the national so grid. So Texas, in order to avoid federal regulation, which requires all these redundancies and backups and blah, 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 has their own grid that is entirely separate from the, right, the rest of the country. Literally, just not connected. They run it all themselves. And because of that, they have very low levels of regulation on all their power generation. That means things like they don't require that their power generation facilities have the ability to, you know, withstand sub-freezing temperatures for multiple days on end. And that applies also to things like wind turbines. You may recall one of the largest wind turbine uh, production, wind power production facilities in the world is in the fucking North Sea. The frozen goddamn North Sea <laughs> out in the middle of, you know, what is what's the name of that strait, right? There's a name I, for that? I Sure. I, I feel like there's a name for it. I feel like there's a name I for don't that. Know. Little, I mean, it's, in, I it's by the UK. Like, it's, yes, but it's fucking cold. And those turbines don't freeze no. because there are very simple ways to provide uh, for, for warming uh, wind turbines when temperatures get that cold. So they have no problems. Same thing up in Canada. Lots of wind turbines. Not a whole lot of problems. But those sort of measures, those countermeasures against the cold were not required under Texas law on wind turbines on the Texas grid. So those Texas wind turbines eventually began to freeze up. The same thing also happened at Texas natural gas power plants. Now, wind made up a small sliver of the power generation in the state of Texas. Uh, that time when it got up to 42%, that is when those natural gas plants were failing, and basically you had wind and a couple other things left, right? So they were making up a lot of the fucking slack. It just meant there was less electricity, so the amount produced by wind jumped up to like 42%. Uh, those natural gas power plants also failed and people fucking died because they didn't require any of these sort of backups. And they wanted to blame it on fucking uh, wind. Mm -hmm. uh, the governor of Texas, Greg, Ab Greg Abbott, you can see him. He went on local news in Texas and talked about how it was because their local natural gas plants were failing. They had these frozen valves, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And then he went on fucking Fox News. And he said it was because of the wind turbines. Yeah, that makes sense. Because that was the line that the national GOP had put out. Because it's always about supporting a line. That's what it's all about. But, as I said, Mark, he continues to support that same bullshit lie in here. I, I think we've dealt with it enough. There's also a John Oliver episode on it that they covered it quite a bit. You can go watch that if you want to. I'll try and find that on YouTube and link in the show notes if you want to watch. But the last thing he gets to in this chapter... Uh, is an executive order that Biden did in January, which called for the Interior Department to develop a 30 by 30 conservation strategy. And that was to protect 30% of our lands and waters by 2030. That's it. That's it. Great. And that is, yeah. Perfect. rather unsurprisingly, the most aggressive conservation strategy we've ever had. 30%! Yeah. 
thirty percent of her land is the most That's aggressive. Quite a lot, to be fair. Like it is. The U.S. is a big place. I'll yeah. give it that. But he's mad about that. No, he's just mad about that. Like. He doesn't understand that most of that is land that's already and not look, being it, used. It's, it's all Marxism, so. <laughs> it is. It is. But to finish out, I will read the final two paragraphs of this chapter this time, which are, quote, Of course, given the desires of this Marxist-oriented movement, the anti-private property disposition of the federal bureaucracy, the endless overreach of successive administrations, and federalization of land and water use decisions, this is all the markings of an economic and property rights catastrophe. Unfortunately, true science, experience, and knowledge are not the hallmarks of the anti-capitalist degrowth zealots. So there we are at the end. He's bringing it back with the bullshit degrowth line, which absolutely was not what any of these people were talking about. As I explained in Plunder and Deceit, which is another one of his books, their Marxist-oriented mindset, quote, has dot, dot, dot. Okay, just do the brackets if you just need has to be there. Just do the brackets for an editorial edition. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Developed into a pseudo-religion and public policy obsession. In fact, the degrowthers insist their ideology reaches far beyond the environment, or even its odium for capitalism, and is an all-encompassing lifestyle and governing philosophy. And their influence reaches directly into the Oval Office and the halls of Congress, where the American economic marvel is quickly unraveling before our eyes. Let's go. End of chapter five next up benedict chapter six propaganda censorship and subversion can't wait can't wait to hear mark's take on propaganda it's just him complaining about cnn and msnbc and twitter i I can't wait to hear mark's take on propaganda (laughs) it's gonna be great i really can't either benedict i really can't either but um well you have fun yeah sure Sure. You learn anything? This I didn't learn anything no, this week. Nothing. I swear to God, this was like I, I enjoyed uh, the chapter that Glenn Beck gave us mm-hmm. on uh, on climate. Yeah, I this that this one... was quite a boring chapter, and I thought uh, you spent too long talking about boring minutiae of it. To be honest, but that's fine. <laughs> well, you think that everywhere? Yeah, I but... do. Yeah, no, this th- <laughs> this week in particular though. I'm aware. But anyways, Benedict, we promised we would do it at the end. So why don't we finish yeah, off? Yeah, no, you took too long talking about the, the boring stuff. So now we'll do, yeah, we'll sa- you save it for next week. You all afternoon freeze. So well, I said, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that that meant you were going to do two-hour episodes. Uh-huh. We are at an hour and 20 minutes, you mm-hmm. asshole. Okay, Benedict, well, you have five minutes. Let's go. I have five minutes. All right. Would, would you like to talk about the only thing that Mark Levin has been talking about, which is the January 6th? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. The, the, the yeah. only thing we should talk about. All right. Why don't? I want another example. (laughs) Don't you love it when he starts off with a scream? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In congressional history, and I'm open to hear it, let alone our criminal history in this country, another example of where one party, whether it's prosecutors or whether it's a political party, has complete control, complete control, over a legislative process. I'm not talking about a vote on the floor of the House. I'm talking about on hearings. What would um, he... Okay, the Republicans refuse to be a part of it. And know, also, right? Liz Cheney is a part of it. Also, Benedict Benghazi? Yeah, Much? no, I like, mean, but there were Democrats in that. It's just, that's what right, he means. they didn't have any fucking power. No, exactly. It's control. The Republicans yeah, controlled exactly. it. I can find none. Okay. You are fucking lazy. 
I don't pretend to be the number one expert on this, but I can you find are none. Certainly not the number one expert. I guarantee on this. he didn't fucking look. He didn't bother to fucking look. And what's available to me to research? None. Also, uh, this is the case. Liz Cheney is in it. <laughs> yeah. So was Adam Kinzinger. But oh, Benedict, did you not know they're rhinos? Uh huh. They're Republicans in name yeah, only. Yeah, still the name though. <laughs> Ace of the Democrats and the number Trumpers. This is not a serious, thoughtful, accountable congressional committee. Not at all. Well, they should have joined it then, shouldn't they? And when this is said and done... Well, that's the thing. It, I mean, I feel like we don't dwell on this enough, but literally, fucking Nancy Pelosi offered everything Republicans committee, wanted. yeah. She offered them everything they could have possibly fucking wanted, but then said, no. Jim Jordan's going to turn it into a fucking circus. Be real. And they're like, nope! If we can't have a circus, we don't want anything! Yeah. Done, and God willing, the Republicans take over the House. I want to know exactly how this committee conducted itself. I want to know exactly how this staff conducted themselves. And I want to know if any of them have been exposed to lawsuits, or can be. Any of them. Will violate anybody's Civil, due process, and yes, human rights. Mark Levin doesn't care about human rights. No, of course he does Because we must confront this. Civilly, legally, peacefully. When you yell it at that tone. Yeah, and say confront, that's not. Don't think those words mean what you think no, they mean. that's true. Using the various channels that may be available to us institutionally... To ensure something like this, this kind of a Stalinist show trial, never ever happens again. It's like Let Benghazi, alone yeah. with the Klig lights on, prime time, promoted by the networks. What you will be witnessing is an old Stalinist witch trial, show trial. Okay, <laughs> Stalinist show trial. Stalinist witch trial, yeah, famously, yeah. You know, it's insane to me. I, there was a brief, you know, 30 seconds, 30 seconds I had on January 6th, 2020, where I thought, oh, fuck, they might actually see this and say we went too far. Yeah. And then 30 nope. seconds later, bam, nope, nope, Matt Gates standing on the hall floor of fucking Congress saying, I just read an article on a shitty blog that said this was Antifa. Yep. And it was all gone. It was all fucking gone for me. Oh, God. I think we'll leave it there, okay. Benedict. Um, who who boy. boy. <laughs> That's it. Anyways, thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of all our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. JD Mainguest found the song Damn right you did. George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hailman, Utah Outcast, Pause, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, McCraw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Tacannon, and Balls Water. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, let's play ball. Goodbye. Bye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.